Welcome to All Axes, brought to you by Mazak, a podcast where we interview the people helping to shape the future of manufacturing to give you a better understanding of where we're heading and why. We believe that with an understanding of technology, workforce, and market trends, you can always grow your business. My name is Teelan Henderson, and I'll be your host. Last episode, we discussed the need for reshoring after a supply chain disruption, such as the one caused by COVID-19. Today, Chuck Berkwell of Mazak will be joining us to talk about how multitasking can help job shops prepare for possible reshoring. Chuck, thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you. What is it that you love about manufacturing? Well, there's a lot of things. Uh, probably the one that stands out the most is that um, I never see the same thing twice. When I get into different manufacturing companies, whether they're big or small, the applications, the metal cutting applications, the things that our customers make are just absolutely fascinating. Yeah, it's just really varied. Um, how long have you been in this industry? Well, um, I have to kind of count backwards. Um, I started right around when I got married, so that should be a date that I remember. Um, <laughs> she probably um, won't listen to this. You're fine. Yeah, uh, right, right at 40 years and uh, 35 of that with Mazak. So thanks for asking. So um, safe to say I've been in a lot of different companies over the years. Yeah. Um, different geographies, different parts of the country, different work statements. Right. Uh, different processing styles. And I also want to say that that also includes uh, Canada, uh, Mexico, and most of South America, which are areas that we're responsible for. So I've seen a pretty broad spectrum of different manufacturing companies. Yeah, I would imagine after that kind of exposure, eventually you start to recognize patterns and, and predictability, you know, opportunities for different job shops pretty easily after a while. Uh, that's safe to say, sure. <laughs> With the COVID-19 pandemic, currently a lot of businesses are uh, slow or they're completely closed. And uh, if there's an upside to it, it's that a lot of, a lot of them are uh, taking this time to plan for the future and, and are anticipating an upturn in business. Uh, is there a universal problem that they could all fix or something that everyone should be considering moving forward? Well, I don't think um, universal is the right word. I think that when we come off of uh, these tremendous, tremendous disruptions, and I don't want to be insensitive and use the word disruption as it relates to uh, the corona epidemic because it's so serious. But when we look at different uh, significant disruptions in the manufacturing sector, such as Y2K, uh, September 11th, uh, Lemon Brothers shock. Uh, you are right. There are certain patterns that follow once uh, improvements come around. And one thing that I've noticed uh, through all of these disruptions is that when business does come back in some shape or form, um, it's never the same. It always comes back uh, a little bit differently. And manufacturers who tend to say, okay, it's back. I'm going to go continue doing what I was doing before. Uh, where was I? Uh, tend not to cope well because they're not being cognizant of the changes that took place uh, during the significant disruption. So uh, can you provide us with an example of one of the changes that happened after one of the disruptions? Well, you know, when I think of manufacturers here in North America, um, I have to consider that my company is one of them. You know, in Florence, Kentucky, we produce machine tools. Uh, we're uh, a manufacturer, a manufacturing entity, and we're feeling the pain too. Um, a lot of the different 
uh, issues that we face um, probably could be outlined as follows. I think number one, we're learning more about supply lines. Uh, how are supply lines working? How are they moving? What, what is outsourcing really doing right now to assign risk? So when we look at typical outsourcing models, whether we buy components um, from various parts of the world, um, most outsourcing models have a risk and reward elements in there. One thing I think that will change is there will be more weight put on risk as the supply line gets longer and longer and longer. And in fact, we're already starting to see a little bit of uptick in our business from companies who are starting to get work back from China and other uh, countries that they lost work to simply because of cost. Um, and the larger companies, uh, the OEMs, who are not making the parts but buying the parts, are realizing that cost isn't everything. So I think to summarize that point, uh, supply lines, supply chains will be looked at differently. And as it relates to um, reshoring, I think uh, there'll be more of initiative of reshoring. I think shops will start getting busier because of that. Um, second, I think it's how we look at labor. Um, obviously, um, over the years, we've, we've all, all machine tool builders or all reputable machine tool builders um, have prided themselves on how close they can place machines together. You know, minimum walkthrough between the machines. Um, I can have more operators handling uh, fewer machines if I place them close together. Well, that's true if your machines are designed to be able to operate with less operators. But um, moving forward, I think if people go into the business as usual mode and I'm going to buy um, simpler machines and I'm going to have one machine per operator, um, does it make sense considering that the new model, maybe one year from now, is more liberal spacing uh, between machines, uh, not only for the physical safety of the workers, but the actual safety of the workflow in the manufacturing process. I think that also uh, the shipment of parts um, will be looked at. Uh, it won't be business as usual. Um, people need parts right now. They need them today. They need them quickly. You know, so, how many... and that speaks to that speaks to mitigating risk. Is that a question of self reliance or a question of just uh, having parts made locally? Is that the best way to to handle that? As it relates to part shipping, um, you know, right now, who, who's ever listening to this um, that would do just about anything to get certain items, uh, raise your hand. Okay, so what happens at uh, Target or Walmart is shipments come in, a giant truck pulls up, all these uh, units come out, whether they're masks or toilet paper or whatever, and they're all gone within five minutes. Mm -hmm. What is better, that or a constant even flow of parts coming into Walmart or Target every day? Now, if you transpose that on top of the manufacturing equation, Again, if you do business the way you've always done it, and that is make 100 parts and ship them, is that better than making 10 parts every day and shipping them? So smaller lot sizes, more frequent shipment cycles, and actually uh, getting paid sooner and uh, reducing your receivable cycle. So these are some of the things that we anticipate um, will change or should change.
So how would uh, how would shops begin to prepare for, for changes like this? And, and when do they know that that's the, the path they should begin to take? Well, I think they probably know now that this is the path that they should take. One of the positives about um, slow times, downtimes like this is it gives us an opportunity to reflect. And I know that people are out there uh, reading, they're preparing, they're learning. Um, to use the old parable, they're using this downtime to sharpen the axe. And I think one of the things that they could look at um, are concepts like multitasking, for example. Um, some of the more prominent machine tool builders that make a good multitasking equipment probably are positioned quite well to handle the upswing when it comes back. Because some of the issues that I mentioned before uh, are addressed very well uh, by multitasking, be able to do, produce done in one, one setup, fewer operators, fewer tooling, uh, and to be able to ship um, on demand. I think that's one particular area that will be um, an opportunity uh, when this comes back. Got it. So if a, if a shop did feel that multitasking was the way to uh, move forward and, and to prepare for uh, what inevitably will be a change in the market, uh, when would they do this? Is it something that they need to wait until uh, they feel that uh, they have a contract with a customer or, or is something they should do proactively to make themselves more appealing to customers? Well, there was somebody that once said that you can buy innovative creative equipment when you want to mm -hmm. or when you have to <laughs> and i think that people who are being deemed irrelevant by their competition yeah and they're being deemed irrelevant by their competition because some of their competitors are, are moving they're moving quickly they're learning to improve their processes mm -hmm. um, and suddenly they realize oh now i have to get one of these usually that's too late you're a little bit behind the right uh demand curve. But then you've already lost. Yeah. Right now, with things uh, being quiet, uh, shops being quiet, probably is a good time to look at innovative, uh, done-in-one multitasking equipment because you don't have all of these manufacturing pressures, the day-to-day -day pressures of uh, payroll and employees and all of the distractions. Now is really a good time to spend, to develop uh, new processes and it and it's once said nobody buys a Mazek Integrex to make a part the way their father made the part or the way their <laughs> grandfather made the part. People are buying these machines to make workpieces differently. And right. now you raise a good point. Now's a good time uh, to sharpen the axe. I do think one of the hesitations people have when it comes to investing in new technology is that they they are going to hesitate. They're going to think that they can't hire the people to run the machines. You know, they're they're not going to have. They can increase capacity, but they won't have the human uh, hands to load and and handle the main, the parts. Is that something multitasking can ha help with? Well, I think by nature, if you look at a multitasking machine that's designed properly. The machine tool itself is an automated cell, okay? It, it, it is a cell on a common base. If you have a head one, head two, upper turret, lower turret, steady rests, um, if you really think about it, 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago, 
That right there was the equivalent of five to seven machines. Now you have those functions on one base. Um, that in itself requires uh, less operators. Your point is a good point. The operators do need to be uh, better versed at designing uh, multitasking processes, uh, the work holding, the fixturing, uh, the tooling, the programming does tend to be more complicated, but it's awfully nice. Um, I've had customers tell me that uh, when they, uh, small, small job shop owners, I asked one guy, uh, this Mazak Integrex, what does it mean to you? And I expected him to say, well, you know, it means that I'm getting these great surface finishes or I'm getting, you know, really, really accurate hole diameters and uh, nice blended surfaces and blah, blah, blah. Um, and he had an interesting comment. He said, what it means to me is I can load it up. I can leave at 530 in the afternoon. I can witness both of my kids soccer games. I can come home, have dinner with my family, go back to the shop at midnight loaded up with simpler work. And when I come in at six o'clock in the morning, I have blanks uh, or semi-finished blanks ready for the next shift. He goes, how do you put a price on that? <laughs> Chuck, multitasking has been around for years uh, and people have looked at it and decided it wasn't right for them at the time. What's changed in the past five to 10 years? Well, Thielen, if you look at your your cell phone, your camera, your car, and you ask yourself the same question, um, there's tremendous advances in all of those. And multitasking, I would start first with uh, electronics. Uh, the control, our CNC control partner, Mitsubishi, and um, us, Mazak, we work very closely together. The motors today are faster, they're more accurate, they're more synchronized. And as a result of that, the machine communicates perfectly with all the electrical components that are on it. For example, if we have an upper turret, a lower turret, a left spindle, a right spindle, the CNC control today, and it wasn't like this five years ago, the CNC control today can count so fast, it knows where every tooltip is or every spindle point is, is it's spinning up to five, six, seven, eight, nine thousand RPM. Therefore, if I'm machining a part on head one and I wanna transfer it to head two, I know exactly where certain features are. Uh, what does this do in the real world? This redefines some manufacturing standards. Uh, gears are a perfect example. Um, if you go online and look at all the different gear applications, so many great, great uh, gear producers, gear machinists, they're my, they're my age and they're starting to move towards retirement. Um, all that's neat, all that is need to be known about gear producing is right between their ears. It's never been digitized. It's never been written down. When you produce things like gears now on Mazak CNC integrexes, for example, you're digitizing the process. When you're producing a combustion chamber inside a cylinder head with all of these sculpted, customized surfaces, pretty easy to make one. But when that one is perfect, how do you make the next one? How do you make the next one? The digitization of the process uh, through uh, the advancement of electronics is a big, big thing. And with the Mazak Integrex, uh, the CNC control is produced with us by Mitsubishi and it's actually designed 
specifically for the integrex because of all of these different um, functions that the machine now is required to produce. I mean, look at look at uh, surgical implants and the surface finish today that's needed on uh, hip sockets. Um, th th those finishes are uh, more, they're finer, they're finer than they've ever had to be before for obvious reasons. And you just could not do that unless you had uh, a machine with no reversal error, no data starvation, and each progressive year, the machine just becomes more and more accurate. Okay, so if I understand, if I try to read the tea leaves of uh, of the market and and what we're, the lessons I think we're learning from the COVID nineteen pandemic, the word I keep coming back to is risk, and, and I I think that moving forward, companies are going to learn the lesson of uh, mitigating their risk. And, and I think it comes down to uh, more of a question of self-reliance or reliance on your trusted nearby partners. So with risk in mind, when a company is ready to invest in new technology, what can they do to limit their risk? How, could they, how do they know who to partner with moving forward? Well, I would say a few things. First is if you choose to invest in multitasking, do it when you want to, not when you have to, not when the market forces dictate. If you don't do this, you're going to lose this big job. Uh, do it while you have time Otherwise to learn you're playing catch up. Uh, the actual machine tool itself. Mm -hmm. um, second, look at the company as, just as closely as you're looking at the machine tool itself. The company who you buy it from is everything. If you stop and think about it, uh, the machine tool is replacing, as I mentioned, many operations, um, drilling, milling, turning, um, grinding, a deep hole boring. So five or 10 years ago, if you looked at a production map, those would be discrete manufacturing processes. Today, you are producing these components all in one setup. So the Good news is you don't need 10 or 15 machines. The bad news is if that one multitasking machine goes down, you yep. want to talk about risk, yep. that's okay. risk. Yep. Okay, so you need to do business with a company that has replacement spare parts, and they need to know uh, what to do with them and how to install them. Another thing that's real interesting as it relates to risk is multitasking more than anything bridges the gap in design to manufacturability. So there's so many great CAN systems out there. There's so many great FEA systems out there that um, I said earlier, nobody buys an Integrex to make a part the way their dad or their grandpa made it. And that's very, very true. When we look at some components today, they are, they are designed to be mathematically and ergonomically magnificent. Holes in the past on a certain part always intersected center line at 45 degrees, as an example. So for years, it's been 45 degrees. Why 45 degrees? Well, that's the only tooling that we've had in the shop, 45 degrees. FEA comes along and says, wait a minute, um, the handle that holds the shaft that is secured to the shaft mathematically and ergonomically uh, really needs to be at 43 and a half degrees. So if you have this Integrex now, you can pick up that angle without specialized tooling. Um, you can make a part that previously is one part, two parts, three parts, four parts. Now you can make it out of one solid part. That's the good news. The, so now you've designed parts that can only be made on the Integrex. 
That's the good news. The risk is if that machine goes down, you've just handcuffed yourself because you really can't make that part on any other machine. So not to be um, a purveyor of the doomsday scenario, but mitigate your risk by doing business with a company that has replacement spare parts, applications engineers, process development. So when and if that machine goes down or when and if that machine gets crashed, um, it's no different than the engine, a jet engine on an airplane. That jet engine is designed to be taken off and a new one to be put on very quickly to keep that airplane flying. Our machines are the same way. Uh, through preventative maintenance, uh, through uh, creative maintenance, the machines themselves are designed uh, to be up and running with the highest possible utilization. So mitigating risk in technology is, is just as much, is probably more about uh, working with a company that you feel has a game plan to help you get back up and running in case something does go wrong. Well, what we do is we always start with the fact that we never ask customers to do things that we're not willing to do first ourselves. So if a customer is unsure about multitasking, we encourage them to come to our facility in Florence, Kentucky, and look at the integrexes in our own factory. So when it comes to our own factory, the risk that we take, um, we mitigate it by uh, choosing multitasking and using our own machines. I want to thank Chuck for joining us today. Visit mazakusa.com for a survival kit for manufacturers. It contains resources on topics such as business implications, ideas on how to use downtime productively, and general information on how to keep families healthy and safe during this pandemic. Be sure to subscribe to All Axes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, or you can always visit our website at mazakusa.com for the latest episode. 